Even after years of having to put up with the Emperor Nero and his impromptu music concerts, the Romans couldn't quite bring themselves to get rid of the office of emperor. No one alive remembered what life was like without one. In fact, when they tried to imagine how things were before the first Emperor Augustus, maybe their only frame of reference was all the horror stories their grandparents told them about civil wars and mobs clashing on the streets of Rome. The problem was that Nero's family, the Julio-Claudians, were spectacularly talented at killing each other. Well, emperors weren't kings, or at least they weren't supposed to be. So they thought, we'll just make someone outside the family emperor. In the end, they decided on Galba. He was a very old-fashioned Roman, with a distinguished career in politics in the army. Maybe too old-fashioned, but there are worse things. There is one other problem with Galba, though. Maybe not a serious one, since the historical sources we have don't talk about it much, but enough of one that the sources ridicule Galba about it. He liked men, and he liked them butch. Welcome to Pre-Stonewall. Down beneath the deep blue sea, where one day I chanced to be, the mermaids gave a very swell affair. I looked out from my submarine at the queerest ball I'd ever seen. Not a soul on earth I knew was there. Of course they did the tango and no one made a slip. Of all the guests assembled there, each one could do the dip at the mermaid's fancy ball in Father Neptune's hall. The little eels were pickled and they did an naughty wiggle. Although it shocked a few old crabs, it made the bluefish giggle at the mermaid's fancy ball. In June of 68, Nero, the emperor of Rome, who also belonged to the same family as the great conqueror Julius Caesar and the first emperor Augustus, was dying. He wasn't dying of natural causes in some luxurious bed, but on the floor of his palace, bleeding out from his neck. With the reluctant help of a secretary, he slit his own throat when he heard the Senate had deposed him and condemned him to be basically beaten to death. Nero was the fifth emperor of Rome. He would also prove to be the last to come from the Julio-Claudian family. Either because the Julio-Claudians proved to be experts at killing each other, leaving very few members of the family alive, much less ones who were eligible for the imperial office, or because the Senate seized the opportunity to try to make future emperors their appointees, the Senate chose Galba, an elderly general with no blood or marriage ties to the dynasty, to become the next emperor. In contrast to the artistic and neurotic Nero, who was obsessed with Greek culture, Galba was an old-fashioned Roman patrician to a fault. At the same time, though, according to one sentence from the writer Suetonius's biography of Galba, he also liked well-built older men. One of the things that makes Galba interesting is that, as little as we know about him, he challenges the conventional wisdom about Roman sexuality. 
see the theoretical view argued for decades about Roman queer history is that there wasn't anything in the Roman cultural imagination that was equivalent to the idea of gay or homosexual. Instead, the argument goes, sexuality, or at least sex between men, was primarily fought in terms of power relations. To put it simply, it was alright for a man to have sex with another man, as long as it wasn't an upper-class man submitting sexually to someone who should be in a subordinate social position, like a slave or a freedman. It's a view of Roman history that started with postmodern literary theorists, but it managed to seep over into the thinking of historians of the ancient world and from there to popular culture. You see it taken for granted in movies, novels, and TV shows like HBO's Rome. Titus Pullo is here, Dominus. Oh. Tell him I am unwell. He may come back next week, perhaps. Tell him nothing of the sort. Octavian will be ready to see him in one moment and give him a purse. You've put off this moment long enough, my dear. Mother, you will penetrate someone today or I will burn your wretched books in the yard. I don't want to get into the meat of the problem or else we'll be here for like six hours, but I think that's wrong or at least not completely correct. I don't deny that power definitely played a role in how the Romans viewed male sexuality. Honestly, power still shapes how we think and talk about sexuality today. The Romans even had a fertility god named Priapus. Among serving other functions, the Romans would put statues of him with his massive penis in front of their houses. The statues would have an epigram where Priapus himself would threaten to rape anyone who dared steal from the inhabitants of the house. There's even a Latin collection of such epigrams. I have to share an example. What do you have to do with me, you meddlesome watchman? Why do you keep the thief from coming to me? Let him approach. He will return more open. But even so, I would argue that while Latin arguably didn't have a term that exactly matches terms we use now like gay or bisexual, I think they did have some concept of people being inclined, or oriented, you might say, toward members of the same sex. After all, Greek and Latin astrology books talk about women and men being born under a certain sign that only want to have sexual relationships with members of their own gender. And beyond that, I think the argument still used among some historians that if people didn't have a precise term for something, then it means they didn't really have a concept of that thing is extremely flawed and doesn't hold up to history. And finally, there's the assumption that even a cosmopolitan place like the Roman Empire with all kinds of cultures and philosophical schools thriving within its borders had a pretty monolithic view of something as messy as sex. Well, that's all well and good, you might be saying, but did the Romans have a problem with two adult people from the same social rank and the same gender having a sexual relationship? Well, the moralistic and by some coincidence, really unpopular, 
Emperor Domitian was said to have persecuted senators who had male lovers. One governor, Saturninus, was even thought to have rebelled because he thought Domitian would have him arrested for having had sex with men. Meanwhile, in his work Dialogue of the Courtesans, the poet Lucian wrote in less than friendly terms about a woman named Megilla, who insists on being called Megillus, has shaved her head and calls another woman Demonassa, her wife. On the other hand, we have literature like the first century satirist Marshall, writing irreverently of a marriage between two fully grown men, Aphor and Calistratus, but is very sympathetic when he describes two young men who were both committed lovers and suddenly died. There's more examples I could talk about, but this is supposed to be about Galbus. So let me just leave it at that I think Roman attitudes towards sex between social equals of the same gender certainly varied, but were on the whole more tolerant than, say, medieval Europe. So let's finally get back to Galba, who was emperor of Rome for about seven months. Galba was a child of blue-blooded Roman aristocracy and had a successful political and military career thanks to being a loyal client of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. But while he was governor of Spain, for reasons that aren't entirely clear, he joined a revolt against Nero. The revolt was crushed, so Galba must have been relieved when, instead of receiving a soldier sent to take his head, he instead was met by a messenger with news that Nero had killed himself. Even more than that, the Senate named Galba the new emperor. To put it nicely, Galba may not have been an obvious choice. One of the reasons Galba may have been chosen was that it wasn't expected that he would live long. He was 72 years old and hadn't aged well. When news that he became the new emperor leaked out, some people in Rome put on satirical plays that highlighted his frail, almost grotesque body. And by the time he was emperor, Galba's arthritis was bad enough that he could not unroll parchment and often had to go about barefoot. Suetonius even adds the less than pleasant detail that Galba also had some mysterious flap of skin growing out of the left of his torso, which he had to wrap in a sort of corset. Galba only ever had one wife, Amelia Lapida, and they had two sons. Neither his wife nor his children would live to see him emperor. When Nero's mother Agrippina was interested in making him her next husband, right after Amelia Lapita's death, Galba was uninterested, and it was said his mother-in-law, Vespania, publicly slapped Agrippina for her presumption. Aside from highlighting the fact that Galba never remarried after his wife's death, Suetonius writes, As to sexual desires, he was more inclined to men and only if they were extremely strong and full-grown. Also, Suetonius shares an anecdote that he claims is still current in his own day, that Galba's lover, the freedman Achaelus, was the one who first told him that he had been named emperor. 
Galba was said to have reacted by kissing Icarus passionately, and then, in Suetonius's words, took him on one side. Suetonius's tone about Galba's sexual tastes is obviously disapproving, but even then Suetonius doesn't compare him to notorious libertines like Nero or Caligula, nor does he use Galba's sexual relationships to smear him. Instead, Suetonius at great length describes Galba as a Roman's Roman, to the point that Galba liked indulging in silly, archaic rituals like making his slaves and freedmen greet him in the morning and say farewell at night. When shortly after becoming emperor, a group of sailors confronted Galba and demanded that he keep them in the cushy military jobs Nero gave them. Galba was furious that they would make their demands in such a way. He then ordered what was by then a disused and very old-fashioned brutal punishment, decimation, killing a randomly selected tim soldier while their compatriots were forced to watch. Still, Galba had a good track record as a governor. He was honest in a culture where taking bribes was just thought to be a job perk. Suetonius puts it this way. So his popularity and prestige was greater when he won the empire than when he ruled it. Unfortunately, his fastidiousness posed a problem. The army hated him because he refused to give them the customary gifts on the ascension of a new emperor. Galba just grumpily responded to their complaints by saying that he chose his soldiers, not bribed them. The imperial bodyguard, the Praetorians, got the same treatment, even though it was their abandoning of Nero that helped get Galba where he was. At the same time, though, apparently Galba's actual administration was not as pristine as he would have liked, or as he liked to advertise. The Senate could not help but complain that, despite Galba's supposed reputation for integrity, his officials were lavishly corrupt. One of the very first things Galba did when he found out he was emperor was making his lover Achaelus an official. And it was said that Achaelus had embezzled more in seven months than Nero's officials had in 13 years. The legions in Germany revolted, demanding a new emperor and propping up their own candidate, Vitellius. Galba's biggest blunder was reacting to this by thinking he was unpopular just because he didn't have an heir. He nominated Lucius Calpurnius Piso Licinianus, whose blood was as blue as his own. In doing so, he was ignoring the career goals of Otho, one of his earliest and most influential supporters. Otho handled that about as well as you would expect, and rallied the Praetorian Guard to get rid of Galba and name him Emperor instead. When the guards came to kill him, Galba only meekly and quietly offered his neck. His head was taken to Ofo as proof. Since Galba was completely bald, the soldier carried it by the mouth. Ofo was now Emperor. The most that could be said of him is that instead of seven months, he only lasted three months. But we shouldn't restrict poor Galba to a footnote. After all, he was not only one of the few Roman emperors who would perhaps identify as bisexual or gay today, he was probably the only one who would, in modern gay lingo, identify as a bear. 
Thank you for listening and check out the show notes for the references used to write this episode and for ways to support us.